You're listening to Fandoms. I'm your host, Brody Ollie. Join me as I interview a guest about whatever they're a fan of, from cooking roasts to hunting ghosts. Today, I'll be talking to Chris Sumner about the paranormal and paranormal investigation. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited about this interview. Awesome. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast before we start? Absolutely. So I'm actually a paranormal investigator. So uh, I'm the founder of Soul Sisters Paranormal, which is an all-female paranormal investigation team that goes to uh, haunted and historic locations across the U.S. And how long have you guys been doing that? So we started in 2013. Um, we're an all-female team, like I said, and uh, it's one of those things that we just kind of fell into. Uh, my sisters and I, we've always been a fan of the paranormal. So in 2013, we were taking a girls' trip to Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located, and that's reported to be one of the most haunted locations in the U.S. And uh, so we had a family friend that sat on the board of that facility, and he said, you know, while you're here, why don't you take one of the nights and, and stay in the haunted penitentiary? So we did, and and we left that experience with what we felt was unexplained paranormal evidence. Uh, footsteps running in corridors when we knew that nobody was there. Door slamming. Um, we were touched. Uh, so we really wanted to, after that, form um, what we considered a professional paranormal team. And that's what we did. Awesome. So what's the craziest place you've been? And what's the craziest experience you've had while investigating a place? Um, well, all of the locations that we've gone have an amazing history. We've gone to about three dozen of the most reportedly haunted places in the U.S., and we've, we've had experiences at most of them. I would say the most active one that we've investigated would be the old Gilcrest County Jail in Trenton, Florida. Um, that's about an hour's west of Gainesville, Florida. And and that night, you know, we're in this old jail that was built in 1928. It was in operation until 1968. And every piece of equipment that we had that night was indicating that something was acting on it. Um, we were seeing shadow figures. We were capturing disembodied voices. We were hearing voices in the moment. And so for me, that was probably the most active location that we've been to. Have you investigated anywhere outside of the U.S. or have you only investigated places across the U.S. so far? Oh, as paranormal investigators, we've we've really only investigated in the U.S. Now, I've visited um, other countries. I've visited, you know, Canada, Europe, um, but not as an investigator. So we have a very extensive uh, bucket list internationally. So um, once we get all of those ducks in a row, you know, we'll definitely be taking um, our, our paranormal investigations overseas at some point. Is there any kind of advice you'd give to somebody who is just getting into paranormal investigation? Really, for me, I would say um, the first thing is to go into it with the right intentions. And by that, I mean, this isn't something that you do just to be scared on a Friday night, right? To go into a cemetery and see if you can talk to ghosts. Um, to me, that's really not what this is about. Um, when we go into a location, we are legitimately there to tell the history of the location and, and tell the story of any entity that really wants to communicate with us that night. Um, so I'd say the first thing would, would be to, to go in with the right intentions of really preserving history and and speaking with those spirits. Um, I think the next thing I would say would be to have patience. Um, it's not like you walk into a building and the very first thing you see is an apparition and the very first thing you hear is a disembodied voice. A lot of what we do is is really sitting in the dark 
essentially talking to ourselves and and you don't really hear a lot in the moment. It's really going back and listening to the audio recordings or watching the uh, video recordings that we, we find that we captured some things. Um, so we're in some of these places anywhere from 8, 10, 12, 24 hours sometimes. Um, and it really does take a lot of patience and, and then really just have that commitment to to pursue it. You know, for us, it, it has been a 10-year journey. Um, there is a lot of financial um, commitment involved. Everything that we do is self-funded. So uh, you got to take that into account as well. Other than the cost that you just mentioned, are there any other hurdles or obstacles to getting into paranormal investigation? And that's a great question. You know, for me, I, I think that the the misconception that popular media has portrayed with regard to paranormal is really one of the hurdles that we have to overcome. You know, a lot of people think that um, when we go into these locations, we're looking for demons or we're looking for the devil or we're looking for evil. And that's not the case. Uh, you know, like I said, I've been to over 35 of the most reportedly haunted locations in the U.S. And I have never experienced anything that was malicious or demonic or evil in any of those investigations at any of those locations. So I think the stigma of that popular media has really put out there is one of the biggest hurdles that we have to overcome with regard to this. I, I know that the other paranormal investigators in the community, as we call it, um, are, are facing the same thing. You know, what we do is we go in and have a very tactile experience with these historic locations, um, and we want to tell the story of the locations and uh, of the spirits that are said to be there, and, um, you know, trying to t convince somebody that it's not demonic, that, that's a really big part of what overcome. Personally, myself, I'm a skeptic. I've never had any experiences myself, despite having tried through seances and other things. Me and some friends tried to contact my father when he passed away. And I've messed around with Ouija boards and all that other kind of stuff. For some, if somebody's not getting any kind of results, what would you recommend they try and do? Well, I, I get it. I, it goes back to that patience aspect. Now, for us, you know, we don't use any Ouija boards. We don't try to conjure or anything like that. Um, the way we operate is we literally go into a location, we sit down, and we attempt to have a conversation, just like you and I are having a conversation. So we sit down, we just ask questions, and we either, at some points, we hear it, d d the, those disembodied voices, or we go back and we listen to the voice recorders. You know, for me, the entities or the spirits that we're trying to communicate with, you know, they had that human existence and for some reason they want their story told, whether it be their, uh, they've got unfinished business or, um, you know, they're stuck and they can't find the way to, to go to the next realm, if you will. I, I think those, those are the conversations that we're attempting to have. Um, for us, it doesn't take a Ouija board. It doesn't take any type of conjuring or anything like that because these spirits are legitimately interested in speaking with us. Now, that being said, I don't believe that everybody who dies becomes a ghost um, or a spirit or a disembodied uh, apparition, um, you know, I am a Christian. I do believe that, um, you know, once we die, we will go somewhere. To, I'll call it heaven. Um, but I do think that there are some instances where some of those spirits are allowed um, to stay back. So, for example, you know, maybe your your father didn't have any un unfinished business or he didn't have, you know, a need to contact you. But um, I think if, if that opportunity presents itself, then he will. You know, I had a very interesting experience with what I think was the spirit of my granddaddy um, in 2016. Uh, he died in, two, in uh, 1986, and I never had any experiences prior to that. It was just a one-time instance um, where he came back to give me what I felt was a message, and that may be the same case with a lot of people who have paranormal experiences, but, you know, for, for us, it is going in and just really sitting down and trying to get the stories from those entities.
Do you find there's a reason why ghosts only seem active at night and that we don't really have much paranormal activity during the day? I feel like this question was a little bit more relevant before all of our issues this morning. <laughs> you know, Brody, a lot of people have that misconception that everything only happens at night. It does not. Uh, we have captured so many amazing unexplained things during the day. You know, for example, I'm currently sitting in a historical jail in Huntsville, Tennessee. Uh, it's a jail that was built in 1904 uh, in operation as the county jail until 2008. And uh, in, t- in 2021, my business partner and I, we opened it back up as what we call um, a historical museum and a paranormal research location and uh, there are spirits that will contact us during the day we'll be sitting here and you'll hear footsteps running up and down the stairs you'll hear whistling um, you'll see shadow figures running throughout the stairs um, or uh, on the second or third floor that's extremely common and and so the reason most paranormal investigations happen at night uh, there's there's really two reasons the first one is a lot of these locations have daytime tours or daytime operations um, so for example here at the jail we have a daytime museum, and so we can't close that for paranormal investigations. And so we allow people to come in at night. And the second one is your senses are heightened at night, right? You're not relying just on sight. Um, when the lights go out and it's pitch dark, you need to rely on other things, your smell, your hearing, your sense of touch. Those things all become heightened, and it just makes for a better experience if you're trying to communicate with something um, to have all of your senses on high alert in that experience. And so that's why most paranormal investigated investigations happen at night. Okay, interesting. I always kind of assumed that sight was more or less the most important uh, sense in an investigation. So having it be dark kind of always seemed counterintuitive to me. <laughs> no, honestly, for us, hearing um, is, is the best sense to have because, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy for a spirit to manifest as an apparition um, or a shadow figure, if you want to call it that. And so for us, we found that the best method of communication is audible. And we capture a lot of disembodied voices, both we, we hear them in the moment, and then we capture things that we did not hear in the moment, but our audio recorders picked up, uh, because it, it takes a lot less energy to produce a sound than it does to actually manifest as an apparition. So for us hearing, um, when you're in these locations, you sit down in the dark, your hearing becomes extremely acute. And that to us is the, the heightened sense that we really rely on on these investigations. Do you watch a lot of paranormal investigation shows or YouTube videos or anything like that? Or do you find it's all just very fake and overly produced? We we used to. I used to watch, you know, Ghost Hunters religiously, Ghost Adventures and such. But once you start really getting into paranormal investigations, you do see that divergence from sensationalism on the television shows to actual investigations. And, and it's really... Like I said, it, it's not sensationalized in what we do. The paranormal shows, they do this investigation and you have some type of outcome in 60 minutes. And that's not how this works for, for us anyway. You know, you go into these locations, you sit, you have this really immersive experience with the history of the location. Um, you really feel the location for, for its historical value as well as its paranormal value. Um, and, and I think that also a lot of tiktokers now and instagrammers and such have gotten into that more sensationalism mindset as well where they go in you know they hear a door slam they think it's demonic and and or they 
proclaim it demonic and they run out screaming. So it, it, there is a divergence from what paranormal shows show and what actually happens. Um, so for us, it is a little bit different. And that that's the reason why I currently don't watch a lot of the popular shows anymore. Makes a lot of sense. Um, do you find that it always seems ghosts seem to be from like hundreds of years ago or the Middle Ages? Because when I watch these kind of shows and stuff, it always seems like that. Never like it's Ben from Best Buy or Stacy who just can't resist Starbucks. <laughs> Ben, that's a great question. No, that that is not the case. Now, I will say that some of the, like, for example, the spirits that are here, you know, we do equate them back to spirits or uh, uh, incidents that happened in the 1920s and 30s. We feel that here at the jail, um, those are our most prevalent spirits. But no, um, they they can be from any time frame. I'll give you a quick example, and I'll go back to the story about my, my granddaddy. Um, so my granddaddy died in 1986, and in 2016, I had this very vivid dream. He came to me in this dream, and, and Bertie, I tell you, I can tell you how he smelled, how he looked, every movement he made. That's how vivid this dream was. And so he came to me in this dream, and he said, um, it, and there was a very specific place he was in the dream. He was in the house that um, he and my Nana had lived in. And he looked at me in the dream, and he said, I'm waiting on your Nana, and you're going to be getting a call soon. And then he disappears. And so I really didn't know, obviously, what to do with that information. I just thought it was a dream. Well, two weeks later, uh, my Nana was in a an accident and she ended up breaking her hips. She never really recovered from that. So she went into hospice and she was in hospice for a couple of weeks. And on the day that she passed and with permission from my family, I looked at my sister and I said, I know where she's going. She's going to the house and the spot that was depicted in the dream and she's going to meet up with granddaddy. And so like I said, I had permission from my family. We took some equipment to the house. This was three hours after she died. We went to the house and I had what we call K2 meters. And basically these meters are designed to measure energy, measure electromagnetic energy. So I have a gray one and I have a black one and they're just little handheld meters, right? And if energy acts on them, it, there's a light array that goes from red or from green to red and red being the highest energy concentration. So we stood in the spot that was depicted in the dream and I had a gray one and Jenny had a black one. And I said, you know, Nana, are you here? And both of these meters start going crazy, all spiking up, both of them spiking up to red. And I said, okay, can you stop? And can you just go to the gray meter? And it did. I said, okay, stop on that. And can you go to the black meter? And it did. And so through a series of questions, we were able to determine what I felt was Nana's spirit, that she was there. She had met up with granddaddy and they had ascended to, again, I'll call it heaven, um, together. And so we went, and just to confirm, we went back two weeks later with the exact same equipment. We stood in the exact same spot and asked the exact same questions. And we, ne we didn't get any response on our on our equipment at all. It was just like there was no energy in the house. And so for me, there are two things with that story. The first one is granddaddy's unfinished business was that he was waiting on Nana. And then the second one is that Nana met up with him immediately after she passed and they ascended together. So I don't I don't think that Nana and granddaddy are, are ghosts per se anymore. I don't think that they're going to contact us anymore because they've moved on. Um, and so that was an example of his unfinished business. That's why he was waiting. And so those are two, like I said, that to me led me to believe that we can contact spirits almost immediately after death. And, um, and that somebody is going to be there waiting for us when it's our time to transition over. That's definitely a very sweet story. I mm -hmm. definitely see how that would be a nice sense of closure and stuff after all that. Um, 
Do you find you have a favorite uh, tool when you go ghost hunting? Um, for, for us, it really is those voice recorders. Uh, we take a variety of pieces of equipment, um, night vision video cameras, again, voice recorders, digital cameras. We have things that are designed to measure energy like the K2 meters. We use things called a spirit box, for example, which is an AM FM radio that's been uh, modified to very quickly sweep through frequencies. Yeah, I've seen the spirit boxes in a few things, but I'm pretty skeptical on them, to be honest. No, no worries. I'm, I'm, I'll send you an example of why I think they're a valid tool um, after we're off of this. But um, it, honestly, for us, the voice recorders are our most powerful tool. As soon as we go to a location, I mean, even before we cross the threshold into the location, our voice recorders are going. And, and they run from the moment we step over the, over the threshold to the moment we leave the investigation. And we feel that we've gotten the most intense evidence from those voice recorders again you know light anomalies you can look at it from a hundred different angles and come up with an explanation um objects moving kind of the same thing but a voice an actual disembodied voice in a location that i have complete control over um that's very hard for me to explain like i said um there's been numerous times where we've captured men's voices um uh, we've captured children's voices and i know that there's just nobody in that area that can produce those noises or those voices and um for me, that's very hard. So our voice recorders are our best tools. Have you ever gotten full sentences or do you just seem to get like words here and there? No, no, we get complete sentences. Uh, again, I can send you some clips when we're done here. Um, but uh, for example, we were at the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia. And now this was a hotel that was built before the Civil War. And it's a three-story hotel, very opulent for the time. Um, and it's set right next to the railroad. Um, and because it was, a, it was a depot location, so it's set right next to the railroad. And then during the Civil War, it was actually um, transformed into a Civil War field hospital. So it, there was um, soldiers from both the Confederate and the Union that were taken care of in this hospital. So they have over 700 confirmed deaths that happened in this hospital. So after the Civil War, it was recommissioned back into a hotel. So now it is a, a museum and they allow paranormal investigators to go in. So there were only four of us this night on this investigation. There's four females. And um, the way the museum is set up, half of the rooms are set up to look like those Civil War field hospitals. So, you know, they have pools and stuff for operation and operating tables and all of that. And the other set of rooms is set up to look like the old hotel. So we, we had a voice recorder in one of those rooms that's set up to look like the hotel. It was sitting on the bed. That's where we put the voice recorder. And so we were across the hall in another room doing uh, what we call EVP sessions. We were sitting there asking questions and we didn't hear this voice in the moment, but the voice recorder captured it. So it's sitting on the bed and a man's voice said, I don't know. I'll be back at 4.30. So that's a complete sentence. Yeah. Um, about, about an hour later, a child's voice uh, was picked up and it said, hi, this is my bed. Like, you know, why is this voice recorder on my bed? Um, so the, again, two things I cannot explain because there were no children and there were no men in that house. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Do you find uh, horror films get anything accurate or do you find they're just completely fictional or uh, completely over dramatized? <laughs> um, well, if you're if you're talking like slasher films and horror films like that, like Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and such, um, you know, obviously those are completely embellished that we don't experience anything like that in any of these locations. 
ones. Um, now more like more paranormal, like uh, like The Conjuring and those kind of movies, stuff like that, like ghost films. Or... Right. Yeah. So so something more psychological, right? So um, The Sixth Sense, uh, The Shining, Ghostbusters. Uh, these movies really tend to more accurately portray what we do, obviously keeping in mind that they're sensationalism. So for example, like The Ghostbusters, you know, they go in and they try to scientifically prove or disprove the existence of the paranormal. And that's really what we do as well. We go in with a very research mindset. Um, we try to control for environmental factors that, that could be causing people to think that, that something is haunted. Uh, you know, we have complete control of the environment as much as we can to rule out things like noise pollution, light pollution, um, you know, different things. And so I, I'd say if you're looking for something that kind of accurately portrays what we do, I'd say Ghostbusters. And uh, just because they go in with that research mindset. But, uh, and then things, again, like The Sixth Sense, it's more of a, of a feeling more so than anything evil or demonic. Well, I hope you ladies don't go crossing the streams on your proton packs. No, we will avoid the crossing of the streams. <laughs> My final question here for you now, do you find you've had any positive or negative experiences with other members of the uh, paranormal community or fandom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, when we first got into this, uh, um, you, you know, it, it's kind of you, you feel like you're on the outside, that nobody else is really doing this. But when you really start delving into it, there are hundreds of teams in what we call the paranormal community, uh, you know, just here in, uh, well, my, my business partner, my best friend, I met her through the paranormal. Uh, I met her about six years ago. So she is also a paranormal investigator. Uh, we have friends throughout the country, really throughout the world, who are paranormal investigators. So, um, you you know, here in Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, um, up in the, the New England area, we have paranormal investigation teams that we follow, that we talk to on a regular basis, that we communicate with um, when we need to ask questions or get advice um, or talk about different techniques. You know, if, if I have, uh, because people will contact us and ask if we can help them, you know, with a haunting in their house or their business. And it, say they're in New England, and I can't get to them physically, I will have a team, I'll contact a team up there and say, hey, this person contacted me. Is there any way that you can go look at their business or their house um, and kind of figure out what's going on? So uh, it's been a great experience for us with regard to the paranormal community. You know, like I said, there there are those that are a little bit on what we call the fringe of this, um, the TikTokers and such that go in with kind of a different mindset than what we do. And we really, again, Back to the following question, we really don't follow them or watch them per se, um, but as far as the paranormal community as a whole goes, those that are in it for the historical value of these locations and historic preservation, it's a large and very inclusive community. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time and coming on. It was awesome getting to hear about the paranormal community and your experiences with the fandom as a whole. Thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely, Bertie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Do you know somebody who might want to come on the show? Maybe it's you. If so, email us at pod.fandoms at gmail.com or come join us on Discord and chat. You can also find us on Twitter at The Fandoms Podcast where you'll often find us harassing bigger YouTubers and podcasters to come onto the show. If you'd like to join us and turn that pressure into peer pressure, we'd really appreciate the backup. Thanks a lot. <laughs>